what happened on Highway I-71 on Tuesday afternoon at 3.45 p.m. in Warren, Ohio. It was on the national news. Cars in the middle of this busy highway rush hour were pulling over to the side of the road and people were getting out, walking onto the highway because cash was flying through the air. The authorities, looking back on the incident, say they believe someone had chucked a backpack full of cash out, and there it was, and there are all these people in rush hour going out to get it. And I think about them, like, they're probably going home, going to work, they're going about their busy schedules, but they were willing to stop and pull over because they had a priority on that cash, right? They, they, they knew time was short on this opportunity, and if they were going to get in on it, they had to take action. And I was thinking about that as we continue on the Sermon on the Mount, and I was thinking that there is a much more profound way that time is short uh, for those of us who are believers living on planet Earth right now. There are many things that you and I will get to do for all eternity in heaven. Praise God. We'll, we'll get to continue doing that. Enjoy fellowship with each other as we do here. We'll get to do that for all eternity. But there's one thing among others for which time is short. And I wonder if we prioritize it enough to slow down in the middle of our busy schedules and, and seize the moment. For one thing we will not get to do in eternity is share the good news of Jesus Christ with lost folks we know who so desperately need to hear of him. And that is exactly why we are here. In fact, as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, beginning at Matthew 5, 13, our second week in there, my first point is the first of three P's that I want to walk us through. I'm going to Use the word purpose, something so many in our world are looking for, but believers in Jesus Christ have. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And I want to sum it up as we are here to glorify our Father by being a witness for Jesus in a lost world. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5.13. Jesus is going to give us two vivid word pictures of what that looks like. Salt and light. Verse 13 says to this group of disciples listening on, you are the salt of the earth. Now, how many of you love salt in your food? I know when we made our chili, uh, Jay our good friend here at the church, he's a southern boy, and uh, he likes his salt like we do. He said, you had some salt in there, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, I noticed that. Salt, what, it, it, it is unique in the pantry, right? It, it brings uh, a savory flavor that, that nothing else can. And that's part of what I believe Jesus is getting at. As believers in this world, our lives are to have a, a unique flavor. What's that look like? Well, Paul hints at it in Colossians 4, 
as he tells the church there in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I think about that, and at the very least, what Paul is talking about is we need to have the gospel of Jesus, whether it's our testimony or, or scripture, prepared. That the Spirit might use it when we're in conversation and we have that opportunity, that our conversation would have the seasoning of Jesus Christ and, and life in Him. It needs to have that unique flavor. But flavor wasn't the only thing, and it's not the only thing that salt is known for. You know what else it's known for? It's known for slowing the rot, preserving meat that left alone would, would rot quickly and, and be infested with maggots. And this is a powerful picture because I believe what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, this is a fallen world and the decay of sin is all around us, the, the compromise, the, the letting go of all that is righteous and pursuing wickedness. It's everywhere. And he's saying to Christians, hey, you're not to be more rotting meat on top of the rotting meat. You're not to think the same way they think. You're not to speak the same way they speak. You're not to do the same things they do. You are to be that preserving salt. One example of this, one of my favorite lunch meats is salami. How many of you love salami? Salami comes from the Latin for salt. And it was created for overseas journeys. They, they rub that salt in there into the meat so that that salami, the decay process, would, would slow down. Do we, do we have that kind of righteousness in our thinking, in our words, in our actions, that we slow the decay in our home, that we slow the decay in our workplace, that we slow the decay in our neighborhood and in our country, or do we just blend in? Jesus goes on with some challenging words. He says, if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? Now, scientists have looked at sodium chloride. Maybe you know this. It's a stable compound. It cannot actually be broken down. So what is he talking about salt losing its taste? Well, in that day, they would often get their salt from salt marshes around the Dead Sea where there wasn't only salt, sodium chloride. There was also gypsum and, and other whitish substances and often the salt because it was more soluble could be leached out so that you were left with this stale bland tasteless gypsum it's nothing you would want to put on your meat or on your food so it would get tossed aside but i want to talk to us for just a moment about this we started by talking about salt saying it is unique in the pantry there is nothing like Salt. So when Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth, that assumes a difference. Because if we become so mixed in with the world around us, 
we lose our ability to function in that way. This is an important point because there are some, even in the church world, pushing the church to say, hey, in order to reach the world, we need to become more like the world. We need to compromise on this and this and this issue in God's word and, and let that one go so that we might welcome them in. Jesus is saying just the opposite. We are to be different. Salt has lost its taste. He goes on and says it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now there's legend in the church world. I do not know if this is true, but it's picturesque that in the early church, when, when a Christian uh, took part in unrepentant sin and continued down the path and his brothers and sisters in the church lovingly called him on that and wanted to restore him to right living, that there was a Sunday or two where that Christian would, would lay down at the threshold of the church and the other believers would lightly, lightly step on him on the way in and it would be his way of saying, I have been that one who is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And we're not going to do that here. <laughs> some of you thinking, oh, I got, I got somebody. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but listen, I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that, that Christian that has lost their, their saltiness. Embrace the different. Now, this world needs Christians who, who have this joy that is untouched by the vicissitudes of this life. Do we have that joy or do we walk with the same kind of hopeless angst that everybody else around us has? They need Christians that trust the Father in His provision and have contentment and peace in the Father. Do we have that? Or, or if we're honest, do we worry just as much as the person who doesn't even know the Father? They need Christians who embrace Jesus over the world. Is that us or are we pretty much just like everybody around us? Embrace the different. Now I want to talk about his second picture light verse 14 he says you are the light of the world light reveals right it can be seen in the darkness we saw this last night i took a couple of our boys out to walmart in prescott valley and what a weird night weather wise huh the the fog just you can see it blowing dark and foggy but you know what? Even though we were way over at Walmart, Evan said, hey, you can see the lights on the floats in the Prescott Valley Parade over there. They were, they were piercing through the darkness and the fog. We live in a dark and sinful world. And Jesus is saying, look, Christians, you're, you are a light. You are the light of the world. You are to reveal and, and shine in that darkness. He goes on to say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This would be picturesque for Jerusalem itself as, 
as, as the various candles and lights were lit in that city, people from miles around could look up and see Jerusalem. We are to be like that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Now, we live in 2022, and if you're like us, you, got, you probably got 15 or 20 different ways to light up your house, right? This was written to a Jewish culture where the, the homes were often small and round, and as far as outside light, there was usually one small window, and at night, there was one oil lamp in the middle of the room with a wick in it. And you would light that so that you could see what in the world you were doing. How many people in their right mind are going to light that, go to all the trouble of getting it going, and then say, putting a bushel over the top. Jesus is saying you don't do that. You have a light so that it can provide visibility. Now, I think about that, and I want to paraphrase something I read this week that stuck with me, and I hope it will cause you some thought, too. I'm going to paraphrase it like this. Secret discipleship is not a stable compound. Because one of two things will happen. Either the secrecy will destroy your discipleship or your discipleship, your, your walk with Jesus will destroy the secrecy. And I think it would do us all well to ponder that before God for a few moments this week. Which, which way is that equation going in my life? What, what I hear Jesus saying here is embrace the visibility of your walk with Jesus. We need to hear that because we live in a world where many will tell you, hey, I don't mind your Christianity as long as you just keep it between you and Jesus in your house. I don't want to hear about it out here in the public sphere. And I don't want to see you out here talking about it, living it out in front of me, you goody two-shoes. Jesus comes out and says just the opposite. He says, embrace the visible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who lived at a time in church history in Germany, who would know the, the pressure to, to be secretive more than most of us because the Nazis were at their peak. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a vocal dissident against the Nazis to the point where it cost him his life. And he led a church during that difficult period of time when many churches had compromised, lined up with the Nazis. He would not. His church would not. I want you to listen to what he said, because I listened to when he speaks. He said, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now, some of you are like, hold on. I know later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about not doing things to be seen, right, by men. What's going on? 
he's dealing with the motive. If you're doing it to be glorified by men, that's the wrong motive. So what's he saying here? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're living visibly for Jesus, speaking audibly for him, living in such a way that it points to him for his glory, you're right on the money with what Jesus is saying. He's saying embrace the visible for his glory. And I think about that. I think about whose glory are we living for, really? Because the Beatitudes we talked about last week, the, that attitude of heart toward God and others and trials, those make zero sense if you're here for your glory or if I'm here for my glory. Think about some of the things we talked about. Being meek, that does not make sense if I'm here for, for my glory. Being poor in spirit, that does not make sense if I'm here for my glory. Being persecuted for righteousness sake, that makes zero sense if I'm here for my glory. But if we're here for God's glory, being salt and light for his glory, they all make perfect sense. Why are we here? Whose glory are we living for? I think about that and I think about an old song by Mercy Me called Crazy. If you've never heard it, I'd encourage you to check it out. Just one chorus from that song. They say, I have not been called to the wisdom of this world, but to a God who's calling out to me. And even though the world may think I'm losing touch with reality, it would be crazy to choose this world over eternity. And I think about this purpose to glorify God by being a witness in a lost world. And I, I see two sides to it. On the one side, I see challenge. Like I do think it's important for us to go before the Lord and say, search my heart, Lord. Am I living out this purpose and the power of the Spirit for you? Am I being salt and light? Am I embracing the, the difference? And am I embracing the visible of walking with you? There's challenge in it, but I think there's also cheer, great cheer. Because how many people wander through this world wondering why in the world they're here? What is my purpose? Just totally lost, decade after decade. You know your purpose. I know my purpose, to bring glory to God by being a witness for Him in a lost world. There's cheer in it. So that's our purpose. Now I want to talk about our power in living out that purpose. Because how many of you hear that and you're convicted like I am? Like, whoa, on my own, I can't do that. In fact, I can think of many times where I've fallen short of that. I, I have sought to, to blend in. I, I have chosen at moments to, to hide rather than step out as God's calling me to. I need help. I need higher power. Enter Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Why do I come to him? Because we just read him say, you are the light of the world. But we know that light is derived, right? Because of what he says in John 8, 12. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, any light we have to offer is derived from Jesus Christ. He's the source of the power to live out this purpose. It's like this morning, I was out in that fog and darkness running, but in the middle of it, there was a beautiful white nativity scene set up in a front yard, and it was front lit. With all this fog and darkness around, there he was, the baby Jesus with, with Mary and Joseph. He is the power source. Why do we need him? We need him because of what he said in John 3, verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, there are some today, and there were many during the time of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment that taught all we need as humans who, who believe in Charles Darwin's evolution, that we're getting better. All we need is more information about how to live rightly among each other. And the more we get more information, we're going to continue to improve and live righteously among each other. And we're going to have a, a utopia. There were people who believed that fervently, especially during the Enlightenment. Those numbers <laughs> dropped off vastly, even among secular philosophers in the 20th century. You know why? Two things we know is World War I and World War II, which reminded our world graphically that it's not just an information issue. It's not just an education issue. There is something wrong in the heart of men. You and I know it as sin. And for sin, we need more than information. We need transformation. We need a savior who's the light of the world. Why? Because we love darkness in and of ourselves. If I use insect terms, apart from Christ, we're spiritual roaches. You ever see what happens when you flip the lights on in a room where there's roaches? <laughs> right? The other end of the insect spectrum, you've got the moths, right? Turn the light on and they, they, they flock to it. We need to be transformed from spiritual roaches into spiritual moss, and that takes the power of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Why is he the light of the world? Well, there's many reasons, but one I want to focus on here. He fulfilled the law that you and I broke time and time again. Verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Look, that includes everything we know as the Old Testament. He says, I've not come to abolish that. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. What does that mean? Well, it means he perfectly obeyed God's law. Living here as the God-man. Where you and I broke it. He perfectly fulfilled every prophecy that pointed to him and will 
perfectly fulfill every prophecy that is yet to come about himself. Every shadow in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You say, how? Well, his teaching. And his teaching, he, he unpacks the meaning of it for you and I. His life, his death, and events yet to come. And in a few moments, I'm going to talk about one other way. Through you and I, as his spirit-filled followers. We'll, we'll touch on that more in a little bit. But you say, how far does that go? Surely that's just the big ideas that he's talking about in the Old Testament. Listen to verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now without getting deep into the Hebrew letters, when he talks about an iota, and a dot, he's talking about the smallest portions of that Hebrew alphabet. And in English, you might think of the dot above the I or the, the curve at the bottom right side of an A, the little, little serif there. He's saying all of it until all is accomplished. Jesus loved God's law. I wonder if we've gone wrong on that front. We uh, tend to have a different response as fallen human beings. We blame the law of God for our problems, but Paul makes clear the problem was not God's law. God's law reveals the Father's love and righteousness. The problem was with us sinners. We, we read of love for God's law it, even in the Old Testament, Psalm 119. C could we say this? Like just a couple of selections. I will delight in your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Or how about this one? This last one really gets me. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. That is someone who knew this was a good and righteous and loving father and knew that his law was good for people created in his image. Jesus goes on in verse 19. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever heard that before? Reward or, or loss of reward in heaven is at least partially tied to what we do with his commandments. Whether we relax them or do them, whether we teach others the importance of them or water them down. Now, some of us are saying, hold on a minute. Like last year, remember we were in Galatians and Paul, the apostle of salvation by grace through faith, was telling us over and over we're not under the law. 
Yes, we're, we're not under the law in the sense that it's our slave master. It, it has brought us to Christ, right? We've, we've found freedom in him. But does that mean we just chuck God's law out the window? Listen to what that same Paul wrote in Romans 3.31. He said, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, if, if you're listening closely and you know your Bible, some of you say, wait, hold on a second. There's a whole lot of them. Which ones are you talking about? Well, you can break them down into three categories. Civil, right? Those laws for the theocracy, the nation of Israel to function. Ceremonial, the, the sacrificial and temple kind of laws. And, and moral, and I want to break those down as I best understand them. I do not believe we have to live out those civil laws. Those were fulfilled in Christ and ceased with him, okay? I, I do not believe we have to live out those ceremonial laws. That's obvious from the New Testament, right? Read Hebrews. Read the fact that the, the temple separating the Holy of Holies was torn when, when Jesus died on the cross, What's that leave? The, the moral law of God. That too was fulfilled in Christ. But listen, that is to be lived out in you and I. In the power of the risen Christ. In the, in the power of the spirit within. This is going to go to our, our third and final P here. I want to talk about penetrating righteousness. As we talk about living out that law today, penetrating righteousness, righteousness that goes deeper than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He said something that would have shocked that crowd that day. Verse 20, he said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A foundational here. Don't forget Christ is our righteousness. The only way that's obtained is by faith in Christ. But what about living it out? How do we live it out in a way that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees? Those guys, man, that crowd was said they have it down cold, man. Not only did they know the Old Testament, they, they went ahead and added to it. Like, that doesn't go far enough. They, they added 800 laws we call the Mishnah to the Old Testament just to make sure they didn't break God's law in the Old Testament. They got super specific about it too. If the Old Testament talked about not working on the Sabbath, the scribes and Pharisees were like, we got to define that. So they would argue about things like this, like how much ink are you allowed to carry on the Sabbath? And, and they had it down. They said you're allowed to carry enough ink to write two letters. Two, two Hebrew letters. No more. If you carry more than that, you're, you're breaking the Sabbath. Or, or they'd argue about if a tailor happened to have one of his work pins tucked in his robe and he, he went for a walk. Is that carrying a burden on the Sabbath? Or if he had a goat. You were allowed to put a cover over the goat's udders on the Sabbath, but only, only if it was to keep the udder dry. If you put that on there to collect any milk, you, you violated the Sabbath. 
Why anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but if anybody has false teeth, they argued about that. If a man wears his false teeth on the Sabbath, is that carrying a burden? Or he puts on his artificial limb. And not only did they have the 800 rules that they added in the Mishnah, they had commentaries about them. And depending on where you lived, some places had up to 60 volumes of commentaries on the rules they added. So these people are saying, how in the world is my righteousness going to exceed that of those guys? Well, I want to break down what I believe Jesus was getting at and what he wants through salvation in him and his life lived out. First, he said, I want you to focus more on God's commandments than the traditions of men. He flat out told them in Mark 7, you've you left behind God's commandments for your own traditions. You put your traditions ahead of what I have actually said. And it's really important that we ask ourselves, how, how would my righteous living be described? Is it really tied to what God says in his word? Or have I just picked up a bunch of stuff from tradition that has little to do with God's word? Tradition's not bad if it lines up with God's word, but if we elevate it and put it over God's word, we we got a problem. I think he was talking about righteousness that, that's not just external, but, but starts inside. Starts inside. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Listen, how many of us know how easy it is to put on a show? Come in here for an hour on Sunday morning. Or show up someplace where you care about what people think and you do your best. But what's going on in your heart? That guy next to you really ticks you off. And, and you may not be saying it out loud because you know you'll be looked down on. But what are you saying in your heart about that guy? He's looking for not only external but internal and he's looking for proper motivation. Am I living righteously primarily for God's glory or for my glory? That, that I want to hear. I want to hear the people around me say, wow, <laughs> look, at, look at that guy. That's what he said to them in Matthew 23, 5. He said they do all their deeds to be seen by others. He got really blunt with them. Matthew 23, 15. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites wear a mask. They're putting on a show. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, someone who, who lives and thinks like you. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And I think about the tragedy of what many of these religious leaders had done. I think about this beautiful living word of God, Old Testament included. This perfect law that he had given. And what I see them doing is, is sucking the life out of it. If, if you pictured it in modern day terms, I, I, I think of a parable of a, of a living, vibrant, dynamic person walking into a funeral home. 
And the undertaker slips him some anesthetic and he, and he takes that living dynamic person, gets him on his table and, and sucks all the blood out of him and, and injects him with formaldehyde. And no matter what he does, no matter how much makeup he puts on, that person is now dead. That's what many of these had done with, with God's will as revealed in the Old Testament. And maybe you're thinking about that dead kind of formalism and maybe you've been there. Maybe you feel like you're there today, like it's all been this ritual, this external thing that has nothing to do with this relationship, this, this internal reality. What if there was someone that came into a situation like that and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What if there was someone who stepped into a situation like that and said, I am the resurrection and the life. What if there was someone who came and said, I know you can't live it out on your own, so I will send the Spirit of God to live within you so that you can have this penetrating righteousness. Good news. <laughs> Listen to some of what we read in the New Testament. Romans 10:4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 8:3. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Listen, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That goes back to a prophecy in Ezekiel. Last one here. Ezekiel 36, 27. God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I want to go back through those three P's backwards and, and just ask us a couple of questions. Penetrating righteousness, righteousness that goes deeper than the externals, does that describe my life? By the Spirit, by the risen Christ within? Penetrating righteousness. When it comes to the power to live righteously, have I been leaning to my own devices, my own flesh, or am I relying on Jesus Christ, the light of the world? And am I living out my purpose for the time that I'm here to glorify God by being a witness to the lost people he brings in my path? Am I, am I being that salt? Am I embracing the difference boldly of following Christ? Am I being that light? Am I embracing the visibility of living for him? Listen, the opportunities are all around. I want to encourage you to have your eyes open this week for time is short. And I think it is time. I'm going to call you guys last day warriors because since the time the New Testament was written, 
They've been telling us it's the last days. It's time for us to make a choice on that secret discipleship equation. Which one will win out in my life? Which one will win out in yours? Will the, will the secrecy overtake the discipleship? Or will the discipleship overtake the secrecy? It's time to make our choice. Time is short. Opportunities abound. I, I want to share just one. And maybe let's encourage you. It can happen anywhere. A couple weeks ago, before Thanksgiving, I was parked up by Chick-fil-A waiting for a meeting. I have a lot of meetings there. So my son works there. And I thought, hey, we, we might as well keep this place in business. <laughs> and I heard this scraping sound. This and I looked, and this lady's driving on that little road through the crossroads. And she's got a, like a five-gallon bucket stuck under her car just cruising 20 miles an hour and, and she goes and parks and she was parked not too far from me so I walked over and said do you know you got a bucket under your car she's like oh yeah I picked it up on 69 a contractor dropped it and I've been trying to get it out by just driving it driving around and she saw there was a landscaping truck parked next to where she was parked and it had a bunch of long tools and she said they won't mind if we get one of those so we grabbed one and and we start trying to bang that bucket out of there, but it's in there tight. And then we start to see little plastic pieces, and she's like, uh-oh, I think we broke something under the car. And I'm like, oh, no, because I was the one doing it. And she said, oh, ne never mind. That's just, just something that was in the bucket. But that thing would not budge until we jacked it up and got it out of there. And, and uh, she said, thank you so much. And I said, no problem. I said, God bless you. You have a nice Thanksgiving. And we went on our ways. And I wouldn't have thought about it again, except Friday, I had to stop in Walmart, and I would, wasn't even planning on going in Walmart on 69. I just had to make a pit stop and grab a few things, and I stopped in there, and I got in line, and there was a lady in front of me who was getting a battery replaced in a fob, or a key fob, and it was taking a little while. My flesh is, you know, feeling the, I got to get going. But thankfully, the spirit over, overcame the flesh and just chilled because, hey, might be me someday needing a new fob, right? And uh, got my groceries, and as I'm walking out to the car, I saw the lady trying the fob, and I said, does it work? And she said, oh, yeah, it does. And then she looks at me, and she said, wait, are you? Are you the guy from the bucket? I, oh, you're the, <laughs> it was the same lady. And uh, made me extra thankful that my flesh didn't uh, kick in inside. And I say, yes, good to see you again. What a small world. Merry Christmas. I hopped in my car. And then I'll tell you, it hit me. Maybe it's because I've been reading this. Maybe it's because I just heard a song by Cutlass called End of the World that you need to listen to. It's a song you listen to. It's like, are we living in light of that day? <laughs> Time is short. God started pricking me. He said, get out there. What, you think this is an accident? You meet a total stranger like this two weeks in, in a row just at places like this? And so I walked over there and I just said, hey, it's not every day I meet the same stranger twice like this in two weeks. I, I just feel led to share something with you. I want to talk to you about the, the real meaning of Christmas. I'm, maybe you've heard it before, but I talked to her about a father who loved her so much that he sent his son to be her savior. And we chatted and she, she smiled and she said, I have heard that. And I said, well, Merry Christmas.
And it just reminded me, there are many times in my life where my eyes are not open. Many times I don't see the urgency. But man, let's be those who do. Let's be that salt and light. Let's find our power in Jesus. Let's ask him to have his penetrating righteousness shine forth in our lives. Lord, thank you for this passage. I don't know how it is for these guys, but there's parts of it that are disturbing and challenging, convicting. Uh, Lord, we do have a short time, and we have a very specific purpose here. And sometimes that gets lost in the hubbub of the day-to-day. May we be those who see the urgency. Help us be those who embrace the difference of Christ-likeness and holiness and repentance in a world that often fails to blush at even the gravest of sin. May we stand out. May we embrace the visibility, not not for our glory, but for yours, that, that folks might see and hear of a father who loves them. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the God-man who fulfilled your perfect law and sent your spirit to live in us that, that we might live for you, for your glory. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't come to put a mask on us. You came to put a new man in the suit or to make us new creations. That penetrating righteousness that comes from inside out because that's where Jesus is. Help us embrace that privilege of walking with Emmanuel, God with us this week as he calls us to join him as fishers of men. Lord, I pray as we take our offering today, it would be out of great gratitude for the lengths you came to provide salvation, to provide light and empowerment to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.